Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, Chris Evans here. Welcome to the Best of the Breakfast Show podcast with Sky from Virgin Radio. Coming up, the stupendously gifted Academy Award winning Gary Oldman delves into his brand new film noir smash hit Mank, available on Netflix via Sky Q. The brilliantly boisterous Noel Clark and Ashley Walters detail their return as Pike and Bishop in Sky One's three-part special Bulletproof South Africa. Hollywood superstar Dave Franco talks us through his jaw-dropping directorial debut with the horror film The Rent. And screenwriting supremo Russell T. Davis takes us back to the 1980s with his heartfelt new Channel 4 drama, It's a Sin, and it's a must-watch. All of that and loads more still to come. Now, Dapper Dave, who is our first guest? Our next guest is a quality assurance stamp on pretty much anything you can look at. The David Fincher-directed Gem Mank is on Netflix via SkyQ now, and here to tell us more is an Oscar-winning actor that's a bit of all right, even in black and white. It's the one and only Gary Oldman! <laughs> Hello, how are you? Very well, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. I, uh, I was just remembering that it was a fantastic visit the last time I met, well, met with you in person. You had the wonderful squeeze in the studio. I know, I know, and we booked them just for you. Uh, so, Mr Oldman, uh, you're not by any chance after another Oscar, are you? Oh, you know, one's always looking for bookends. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the last time we talked was for Darkest Hour with Churchill, and you did win the Academy Award. Congratulations, my friend. Where is it? It's actually in a little... Um, we, we have a little sort of guest bathroom, and it's a come library thing, and it's 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 there under a... under under. Or close to a picture of the man himself. All right. Uh, so for people who don't know yeah. who Mank is, can you just tell them, please? Well, uh, Mank is primarily uh, famous for co-writing uh, with Orson Welles' Citizen Kane, um, 1939, 1940. But he had spent uh, the previous 10 years uh, or more as, um, as a, a writer in Hollywood. He was... He was sort of a script doctor in as much that um, if you needed a funny line or you needed a, a script needed kind of zhuzhing up a little, that they would always sort of throw it over to Mank, as he was known. Um, he worked at RKO, MGM, and uh, ushered in really a whole new, uh, a, a, a new sort of genre of, uh, of writing, um, with that sort of wise-cracking, fast-talking comedy, gangster-style films that we that we've come to love and know from the from the 1930s. So he was, uh, and he, he also he had a major contribution to um, the Wizard of Oz. It was Mank's <laughs> idea to shoot Kansas in black and white, and then go into Technicolor when Dorothy stepped through into Oz. Um, he got fired from that job. Um, but uh, at least uh, you know he came up. He came up with what's arguably, uh, as David Fincher would say, one of the, the, the greatest special effects in movies of all time. As 
over his shoulder as he was leaving the door, as he was stepping out. He he was considered a great great wit, um, uh, but there's always this sort this sort of romance with uh, with artists and uh, uh, particularly writers and the, uh, and the and the booze bottle. I know that when you started to plan your character or your characterization of, of uh, Churchill after yeah. thinking about it for a year and saying no for a year to Churchill. Um, um, yeah. Thank God you reversed that decision, Gary, <laughs> for a start. Thank you. Uh, for the sake thank of your you. so far single bookend. But um, I know that you had 800 books plus to draw from. Um, how did you set about characterizing yeah. Mank? Well, um, as you probably know that the screenplay was written by David Fincher's father, right, Jack Fincher. Yep. And it was actually really something that David had commissioned when his father retired, which is over 30 years ago now. He sort of said, I want sort of something to do. And I, and I love all sorts of form of writing um, and, and said, I fancy taking a, a, you know, chancing my hand at writing a screenplay. And they were both fascinated by Orson Welles and Herman Mankiewicz and that whole kind of, uh, story around the writing, uh, the background around, you know, sort of Citizen Kane. So, so he went and wrote this um, this screenplay, and uh, David had tried to make it. Um, it. You know, it's been sitting on his shelf, gathering dust for thirty years, and and back then, you know, where these major studios had these sort of um, uh, foreign rights deals with, with, with around the world where they had to deliver a movie and it had to be under two hours and it had to be in colour and all of that. And David always saw this movie in black and white. And um, so, uh, so uh, it, it's taken all of this time. The script was so good. I must say that even my reading around the material, what I was reading about Mank and what I was reading on the page matched up i thought that that jack fincher had really captured a a spirit or an essence of mank so ultimately i i didn't have to look too far from the from the material and of course so many people don't know mank they've never heard of him they don't know what he looked like with churchill i was playing um such an iconic uh, uh, uh figure and and there's, there's more books that are written about church than I think anyone else in the world. So um, I, had, I, had, I, had plenty of, uh, I had plenty of research to do. But <laughs> Love it, love yeah. it. Uh, right, could you, could you leave the breakfast show audience of the UK and indeed the world? Because I've heard you do this before, but I don't think you realised you were doing it. You know the um, once, once More Into the Breach, dear friends, from Henry V, right? I know that you'll, yeah. I know that you'll never forget that t- to your grave. Could you wrap it for us? Yeah. Uh, are you going to give me any sounds, or am I just going no. to? Uh... No, because when you when you do it quickly, it sounds like you're wrapping it anyway. All right. Once more, up to the breach, dear friends. Once more, or close up the wall with our English dead in peace 
and nothing so becomes a man as modest your stillness and humility. But when the blast of war blows in his ears, then imitate the action of the tiger, stiffen the sinews, summon up the blood, disguise their nature with half-favored rage. Then lend the eye a terrible aspect, let it pry through the portage of the head like the brass cannon, let the brow overwhelm it as fearfully as that the gall is rough. <laughs> Or hang the dusty its confounded base, swill with the wild and the wasteful ocean, set with teeth. And oh, no, I've forgotten it. No, that's, that, that'll leave for me, Gary. I love you to death. I'll talk to you again as soon as you like, all right? All right, thank you. Cheers, Gary Oldman. Awesome. Awesome! Gary Awesome. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Dapper Dave, who are we talking to next? They fight terrifying criminals and bicker like a married couple at the same time. <laughs> the new three-part special Bulletproof South Africa starts this Wednesday on Sky 1 at 9pm. And here to tell us more are the bad boys of British telly. It's the Lethal Weapons, Noel Clark and Ashley Walters. Thank All right, you. gentlemen, good morning. Morning, morning. Good morning, uh, Noel. Good morning, Ashley. I'll separate each question with a name, otherwise it's going to get confusing. Is that all right with you, boys? <laughs> No yeah, that's fine. Yeah, yeah. OK, uh, first of all, actually, to both of you, congratulations on a stunning season opener. Amazing, amazing show. Uh, it goes everywhere. I mean, it goes to South Africa for a start, but emotionally it goes everywhere. As far as the action's concerned, it goes everywhere. I mean, I watched it last night, you know, and to be honest, it was the last thing I, I watched before I went to bed. Not ideal. Uh, very difficult <laughs> to get to sleep to, especially when it's 8 o'clock on a Sunday evening. Yeah. Uh, so, um, Noel, uh, tell us as much as you want to, first of all, about the opening five minutes of the first ep of season one so the next season sorry. yeah well, the, the opening five minutes is sees us uh, still in London kind of just you know uh, I want to say solving a crime it's not quite solving uh, getting sorting out some perpetrators in a sort of really uh, quite familiar way to some people but I, I guess younger people won't know but we, ca- we catch these bad guys but we basically decide we need a break or we're on our way for our break and then we end up taking our long-awaited holiday. Well, Pike's family takes his long-awaited holiday, and my character's like, oh, I'm coming with you. So he goes, he goes with them, and uh, we're relaxing on the beach before it all kicks off again. Yeah, because there's no room for, for three in this marriage. Yes, there is. And uh, Noel's character <laughs> is the third. Uh, by the way, if, people, if you're not aware of Bulletproof, if it's not on your radar, it's the number one show on Sky across the board. It's absolutely brilliant. Right, Ashley, um, in that opening five minutes, did you, I, won't, I won't give away what happened, apart, but I will ask you this question. Did you get yeah. to have a go on the airbag? <laughs> no, I didn't. And I, I, I didn't want to, actually. Um, I think Noel did. <laughs> or he was meant to, but he... he he, he um, shied away from it at the end. Well, <laughs> yeah, I jumped off a little thing. I jumped off a little thing onto a little one. <laughs> just like the most fun ever. Oh, my goodness me. All right, so you talked about this last time when you came into the studio, the fact you were off to South Africa. I mean, it, it's from what I've seen, it worked out very well. Yeah, yeah, it was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, listen, we weren't, we actually weren't meant to go to South Africa in the beginning. It started off me and Noel Tokyo were asking if we could do something in, uh, I think it was Japan or Tokyo, yeah. And... Um, uh, it just ended up be, ended up being South Africa, but actually it was the best thing. Um, you know, the, South Africa is a beautiful place. I've been there uh, a couple of times before. Noel hadn't been there. Didn't really want to go in the beginning, but <laughs> yeah. we had the, we had the we had the best time together while we, while we were over there. Yeah, and that. Yeah, the, but you know, they do you know they do things don't they, in TV in auditions literally, and they call chemistry tests. But of course, you've got that 
in truckloads and it's just i just love watching you on screen and now i know that when you got to south africa and you're on the beach you know having having fun i know that something terrible is going to have to happen for the show to carry on for the otherwise but then but honestly i could have just watched you two having a laugh for the next six weeks it would have that would have been fine by me cheers man I, i think a lot of people say that that you know part of what makes the show is 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 the humor and the, the just camaraderie between the two characters and you're right you know a few people have said look man if it was just you two sitting in a car on a stakeout i'm pretty sure i could watch a whole episode with you guys doing that just because of the way you, you interact but i think you know that just comes that's just something that we 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 added it's something that was in the dna of the show for, for us you know ashley and myself having watched a lot of the american things we watched yeah and also it was something that we it it, it is something that we consistently add you know because you know especially in the first season when nobody knew what the show was going to be we kind of knew what it was going to be and a lot of that stuff wasn't in the scripts yeah the stuff about being scared of the driving and the trainers and the fist bump and the 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 little banter it wasn't always it wasn't really in the scripts because nobody kind of got it on paper like i didn't get it on paper it was like well that doesn't work it's not funny you know it's a serious show and so we just were like all right cool and we just decided we're going to add it in and every day we would just add it in and people would say, well, that's not supposed to be there. And we're like, listen, we'll just trust us. Yeah, trust us. And then when it came on and it worked, they were like, Ah, now we get it. And it kind of went from there. It's funny, isn't it? Because, you know, that's why you have read-throughs, that's why you have block-throughs, you know, uh, and, and and various um, sort of... You have uh, you have uh, paper pilots, you have video... You used to have VHS pilots, now you have digital yeah. pilots, and you have the main thing. Because some things on paper don't play, but some things yeah. that play cannot be written on paper. Yeah. yeah, a lot of the stuff that Bishop says doesn't play on paper. Yeah. Like, a lot of the stuff my character says sounds really harsh quite unfunny <laughs> and almost kind of like well that's terribly un-PC like you can't say that yeah. but then yeah. you've got to do it the way Bishop does it yeah. and then suddenly it, it works yeah, it's, it's how isn't it it's how it's said it's how it's con- conveyed it's how yeah. it's communicated which, yeah. which is the whole thing about acting and directing you know having interviewed loads of actors over the years I still will never get how you do what you do how you take you know in our, in our fantastic writing competition with kids 500 words you know we've had over a million entries for that now you know wow. and, and when we go to the finals day it's been 10 years uh, and we get amazing actors like yourselves to, co- to come and read out the, the final six stories you, what you guys do to stories is amazing I understand I've just been handed a piece of paper that season four of Bulletproof has already been confirmed. I'm not telling you. I'm pr- I presume you already know this. What? Yeah, correct. <laughs> no, we just found out. <laughs> we, yeah, we, we found out a couple of days ago. So, right. yeah, very chuffed about that. Why wouldn't it be? All right, gentlemen. Anything else you'd like to say before you go? Thanks for having us. Yeah. No, you're always yeah, thanks welcome. Thanks for having us. Okay. Um, well, Wednesday, Wednesday, watch the show, man. Okay. Let us know what you think. All right. We'll be shouting it to the rooftops. We will. By the way, um, episode one it ends up in a bit of a pickle, doesn't it? It didn't go as planned. It never does. It never does. No. <laughs> okay, there, there are pickled onions and there are pickled these two, seriously. And um, it's not understating the fact to say, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in episode two, because episode one, you think, well, oh, how do they get out of that then? There's, there's a corner you've written yourselves into. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio.
His directorial debut teaches us that if it's too good to Airbnb true, it probably is. The <laughs> Rental is streaming on Amazon Prime Video from this Friday, and here to tell us more is a man that's turned us all into Francophiles. It's the delightful Dave Franco! Yeah, all right, Dave. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. Where are we talking to you? I'm in Los Angeles right now. What what an intro. I, I really appreciate <laughs> this the, the energy right now. I gotta I gotta rise to your level. <laughs> well, we've been up since 3 a.m. But I was in bed at 6 o'clock last night having the bejesus scared out of me by your film uh, whilst my kids were having a bath and getting ready for more homeschooling. Congratulations. The rental. Where was the house? Where's this house, by the way? Does it exist or is it one of these you've built in movie land? This house is on the Oregon coast and it was it was a big part of the movie, you know. Uh, we, we scoured the entire west coast of the United States and um, we found this area called Bandon, Oregon and it was perfect because there's so much natural beauty in the area that would make people want a vacation there so you understand why the characters go there but at the same time there's something very ominous about the area with the with the fog and the jagged coastline and the fact that it literally is in the middle of nowhere. All right, now, Dave, I love a rental uh, and I love the look of this house, but then things begin to go horribly wrong. Is it a horror film? Is it a psychodrama, a, you know, a relationship nightmare, a bit of everything thrown in? Our goal from the beginning was to make a, you know, a tense relationship drama where the the interpersonal issues between the characters was hopefully just as thrilling as the fact that there's a psycho killer lurking in the shadows. <laughs> yeah, I never know how much to give a, give away in these interviews, so I'll just take your lead. Of course, you're a renowned actor yourself, but I know that you, you've been a big movie fan since you worked in a in a video store, sort of semi-illegally, would that be right? Yes, you've done your research. Uh, my my first job ever, I was I was 14 years old and I was working at a, a mom and pop video shop and uh, it was illegal for me to be working there at that age and so they essentially paid me by allowing me to take home as many movies as I wanted. Uh, but I remember people would come in and I've always looked young for my age, and um, and so at 14 years old, I, people would come in and they they'd wonder what this nine year old boy was doing behind the counter, <laughs> selling them, you know, selling them Silence of the Lambs and like Basic Instinct and stuff like that. Um, but it, it truly was like my original film school, and that's how I started watching all the classics. Just give us your sort of 99 filmography, your you sort of your your highlights from behind the counter. So I was working at the video store in uh, the year 1999, and that's one of the best years of all time for movies. So yeah, Fight Club, being John Malkovich, uh, American Beauty, uh, Blair Witch Project, American Pie, God, uh, The Insider, uh, I forget. There's If you look up the movies from that year, you'll be blown away. It's these like seminal films, one after the next. I wonder, had it been another year you'd worked in the video store, whether or not you'd, you'd thought, no, movies suck. That's a great question. <laughs> I mean, it was the perfect time for me to be completely inspired and to be watching these movies like Fight Club and being John Malkovich that are so you know, outside the box and are doing things that people hadn't done before. And it just really opened my mind and, and made me realize like, oh my God, you can really be experimental and weird and people will still go see these things and like pick them apart and digest them. And yeah. Did you always end up wanting to make films as opposed to be in front of the camera, which you've been a lot, of course, very successfully? 
I once I wrote this script, um, I realized I knew these characters and this story more intimately than anyone, and all those fears of directing went away, and and those feelings were replaced with with just excitement. And I realized once I stepped on set that first day as a director that I knew a lot more than I thought I did yeah. because of the fact that I've been on so many sets as an actor, and it made me think about how. A lot of first-time directors, when they're stepping on set that first day, that's their first time on any set ever. And so they're learning, you know, the dynamics between crew members and how things work on a basic level. And so I felt like I was um, able to skip some of those steps, which immediately put me more at ease. Yeah, no, you're so right, because it's all about knowing your environment, which you do very well. You you were going to be in this film, I understand, and then you decided not to be. That's correct. Um, so yeah, while I was writing it, I was originally going to play the role of Josh, which ultimately went to Jeremy Allen White. And once I decided to direct it, I thought it would be smart for me to just focus on my responsibilities behind the camera because this was my first time and I knew I would have a lot on my plate and I, I didn't need to worry about acting as well. Well, good for you. And looking back on your first feature, um, you know, what, what would the notes be to yourself? It's <laughs> uh, a good question. Uh, I mean, I think the smartest thing I did was I really vetted the cast and crew in, in a really extensive way where I obviously wanted really talented people, but it was just as important to me that everyone was very nice and that they were going to work their asses off because as a first-time director, I just needed people whose number one priority was the quality of the film as opposed to some people who have been in the business a really long time and they just see it more as a job. You know, they're coming to work, they're trying to get through the day so they can get home and, and watch the sporting event or whatever. Uh, love to talk yeah. to you. Uh, really, really nice to talk to you. Uh, good luck with everything. It's a great film. Congratulations. I will still... Uh, Airbnb are considering sponsoring a show here on the station, so maybe it's best they don't hear this interview. The last thing I'll say is they actually reached out because they wanted to do a collaboration of some sort. And right. I was like, are you kidding? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> and so they, I think they fully embraced the movie and, and kind of like, as opposed to just running away and, and kind of burying it, I think it's, I think it's better for them just to kind of embrace it and go with it. Oh, okay. In that case, let's, let's give them, let's give them one, a free ad. This is a non-paid for ad on Virgin Radio uh, with Dave Franco and me here in London, Dave over in Los Angeles. Dave, if we were going to consider <laughs> Airbnb anywhere in LA this summer, when hopefully we can once again fly to your beautiful country, from our beautiful country where would you recommend are we talking are we talking um i don't know uh malibu canyon or are we talking big sir G give us give us the number one place to, to search for airbnbs that you know of around where you live that is uh, heavenly big sir is one of my favorite places on earth but if i was going to give a recommendation i would say the old rustic cabin in bandon oregon <laughs> <laughs> The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. 
So, me again. We've heard from three tip-top guests already, but there's still so much more super stuff to come. The intrepid Simon Reeve enthralls us with tales from his latest adventure pack, BBC Two Best of Show. Incredible journeys over the years with Simon Reeve. The always on-point Marie Folio, live from New York, imparts even more pearls of wisdom from her brilliant book, Everything is Figureoutable. Dr. Turn, food scientist Stuart Faramond holds a magnifying glass to our lifestyle habits in his fantastic new book, The Science of Living. And Pale Waves, Heather Baron Gracie has us all giddy with anticipation talking about the band's upcoming Bursting With Energy second album, Who Am I? All of that and more still to come. So let's get right back to the action. Dapper Dave, do your stuff. From the groundbreaking Queer as Folk to the institution of Doctor Who, our next guest can do it all. His incredible new show, It's a Sin, starts tonight on Channel 4 at 9pm. So please welcome a man that's got creating superb telly down to a T. They even put one in his name. It's Russell T. Davies! Hey, Russell T. Davies! Uh, hooray, hello. Thank you for having me. Hello, Chris. Hello, Russell. Listen, well done, pal. What a programme. Oh, mate, thank you. Thank you. A lot of people work very hard on this, so I'm delighted. It's Transmission Day. We're here. We made it. We did it. Yeah, what a difference today uh, makes uh, what a difference a writer can make uh, how long has this been um, simmering for in your mind in your creative vat and uh, well yeah it's funny because I realise now I kind of realised always this is about a bunch of 18 year olds in 1981 leaving home and I was 18 in 1981 so Really, it's been similar way all this time. It's very strange. You know, it's transmission day today and I'm excited and I'm thinking, you know, 57 years old. And when I was young, boys of my age around me died, disappeared and died from a mysterious virus. And it's taken me this long to write about it. Yeah. Why? How did it take so long to think that's a good story? And I think, I think it does take that long, actually, for me to get my head around it yeah. and to look at it and be able to tell it in an imaginative way that will also draw an audience in. So... I'm so pleased. I'm so delighted. Right. So, so you've sort of you've you've um, you've uh, alluded to to you know uh, your cast and the way you're going to tell it. Just give us a bit more pitch it pitch it to the listeners a bit more because I literally want everybody in the country who can watch this to watch this. Oh, thank you. It's a brand new cast. Five beautiful actors. Um, they play five teenagers leaving home. They move into a flat together in London. They're excited. They call it the Pink Palace. And the series goes to five episodes and it goes from 1981 to 1991. So you see that decade where you come of age, you come out, you find yourself, you fall in love, you, you change your relationship with your family, you find your lovers and your friends. But all of this is under this great big shadow because, of course, 1981 is where the first rumours start about this strange thing called HIV. First of all, from America, they've been getting closer. And through the decade, it gets closer and closer and closer to their lives. And, and it is important to say that you know, this is very much based on people I loved and lost and people all of us loved and lost. And yeah. um, it's actually full of joy. It's about the lives being lived. It's funny. It's colorful. It's sexy. Uh, some awful things happen. You know, we, we look unflinchingly at, at the disease, but I don't want people to think oh, it was a great big medical drama. I, I'm, I'm only saying this to try and get people to see it because I want, I want them to remember those boys. Yeah. Um, I want to, to have a smile on their face. And the cast is, you've seen it. I mean, what are they like? They're just extraordinary. They're they? extraordinary. Um, they are extraordinary. And Russell, the thing about it, there's so much, so much to talk about, having seen all, all five episodes. Uh, okay. One of, one of the things is, you know, 
I was so happy as a viewer to be with this gang and I, I sort of suspected what might happen to, to one, some or all of them. And I thought, yeah, I know you I know I know that certain things have to happen because of because of the story that you are retelling and and, and telling lots of people for the first time. But I, I want you to do something else with the same cast because I just want yeah. those boys to be back to and girls to be back together because the, the it is sad, it is tragic. There are parts that are horrific and parts that are very difficult to watch but you know when they're having a laugh who doesn't want to be part of their gang absolutely that's what I want to create that sense of you know we miss everyone's lost someone and we miss them so I want to create that feeling of missing them so in order to miss them you've got to love them and I do love them and this are you've never seen a bunch of young actors so so committed I mean just just to the cause as well I mean politically they can engage with HIV and discuss that but as friends they came together they had such a laugh Ollie Alexander is one of the lead singers from years and years and what a performance I mean, I thought he'd be good. But kind of thought, yeah, he's got something. He's special. And he came into audition, and he was lovely, and he was brilliant. Little did we know. It's like having a secret weapon. Yeah. He's absolutely phenomenal, isn't he? Wonderful yeah, life. but everybody is, and they all lift each other, don't they? And it's not, you know, nobody's stealing scenes. They're just all coming together. It's like the Beatles. You know, the Beatles, they say the Beatles were so great because you had four band leaders all ha who all happened to be in the same <laughs> band. And you sort of get that sense, you know, with with your cast, that everybody's absolutely flying because of each other. Yes, that's, that's absolutely true. That's what it was like on set. I know everyone says, everyone comes and does introducing. We had such a nice time. We really did on this because you can see it. It lifts off the screen. It's visible. And everyone, you're right, has their turn. It's like, I think people might watch the first few episodes thinking, why is Keely Hall's in this? She's only got two lines. <laughs> <laughs> and you just wait. It's like she takes oh. it at the end like no one has ever taken it uh, before. By the way, I did not see that coming. Let me tell no. you, not for no. a second. You know, what an astonishing performance! Isn't the, the, yeah. the final exchange was it the Isle of Wight? That's oh. with the promenade where you feel. No, it's actually uh, seafront in North Wales. That's North Wales. That is. Yeah. Okay. It looks a bit like London. No, I wasn't quite sure. But anyway, um, you've got to watch this show. It's really, really, really important. And now from the um, sublime and very serious and hugely important to the absolutely ridiculous Russell. Sorry about this. Okay. Are you, okay. Are you, are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Where did you get all those amazing cars from? Amazing cars. Oh, God, there's so many beautiful oh, cars in your show. We really... You see, I don't drive, Chris. <laughs> oh, not, mate. You lost me. Oh, this... Oh, man, it's their, oh. their job to go get the cars. I, would, I don't even notice them. Seriously, you may have been looking <laughs> at the boys. Sorry. You may have been looking at the boys, but I was looking at the cars, let me tell you. And the boys... <laughs> Um, there's a very good double-decker bus I love that double-decker oh, bus oh there's That's more than that pal but anyway <laughs> uh, and my, my last question to you is and thanks for coming on and well done again oh pleasure um, thank you my last thank question is how did you get the seagull to nick the ice cream <gasps> stop it <laughs> um, isn't it brilliant I'm, do you know let's leave it as a mystery for the ages <laughs> isn't it brilliant well do us a favour don't hang up and tell Mira how the, okay. was that an outtake or what? I just want to know anyway you're you're amazing we love you everybody should watch this that's it goodbye thank you okay you're awesome it's a sin starts tonight channel 4 and if you don't watch it you might as well sell your television or even better give it away or stick a hammer through it because there's no point in you having one if you don't watch this show the best of the Chris Evans breakfast show with Sky on Virgin Radio we all like to go on incredible journeys with Simon Reeve, so the people at BBC Two made a show with him called Incredible Journeys with Simon Reeve, and it starts this Sunday at 8pm, and here to tell us about some of his journeys is the incredible Simon Reeve! All right, Simon! <laughs> <laughs> morning, morning. Morning, how are you? 
I'm all right. How are you? Well, we're very, very well. I was thinking about yesterday because I was watching your show and I was thinking, you know, as far as so many businesses have been hit, of course, they have by COVID over the last um, nine, 10, 11 months, you know, live, live event businesses, obviously pubs and restaurants and loads of other businesses. But I suppose from a showbiz point of view, you know, to, to make travel shows, you know, well, you've been hit hardest, I would imagine, my friend. I would say I have just about the least important and least possible job going at the moment. Gadding around the world, going into remote places and remote villages. No, I don't think that's a very good idea during a pandemic. So, no, the, the passport is in the dusty drawer. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is the best of show. So if you've never dipped your toe yeah. into the Simon Reeve pool before, this is the ideal show for it. I was so pleased because I didn't know it was the best of show till I started to watch it. And I thought, oh, here we go. And then I saw you looking like Robbie Williams auditioning for Take That in the first episode. <laughs> <laughs> that's me now obviously you're talking about me 2020 well right? hang on a minute you've aged pretty well but uh, you dream did, on Reeve dream on you did once look a bit younger what was it like looking back at the best ofs uh, it was weird to be honest but um, it was because uh, I've got a memory and a brain like a, a, a sieve and a goldfish so um, so it was all it all felt oh did I did, can't, I'd forgotten I did that oh did we go there <laughs> so it was um, it was a lot of fun it is a lockdown compilation show but you know I've been doing this for a long time now and um, uh, only my mum I think has, has watched all of the programmes so uh, 130 countries I've been to we had a lot of a big back catalogue to go through and pick out the best bits and we managed to track down some people I've filmed with in the past which yeah. was actually really emotional and surprising we filmed some interviews with me talking about my slightly tricky back ground and i even managed to go on a bit of an adventure uh, a lockdown adventure to the island of lundy off the coast of devon which during covid was about as exotic and exciting as going to the amazon i think if this was like the specials um trolley in a restaurant you know can you just just talk us through the specials <laughs> if you don't mind <laughs> um i like that yeah uh, well the specials i suppose would be then over here um in program one sir um, for your delectation, <laughs> we've we've got a big focus on people in program one. So I I really do think that that's the, the the greatest joy of going on a journey. I think it's the real point of travel. The landscapes and the food and the wildlife are all brilliant and wonderful. But for me, more than anything else, it's the people. Um, I've met hundreds of incredible um, humans over the years, all around the world. And we've been through the back catalogue and found some of the favourite examples of just wonderful people, something we're all craving, those just encounters, those meetings with people, spending a bit of time with people. Um, and we've got a really, it was very emotional, actually. We managed to track down a lad I met in Bangladesh many years ago who was working as a child labourer in a hellish glass factory. Um, he's now a grown-up. Um, he's survived, he's endured, he's flourished, um, and, and we, we have a catch-up with him. It's really, it's really inspiring, I think, really humbling and emotional, um, and a lot of other lovely people as well. That's, that's, that's the people on the menu, sir. Then we've got danger and extreme places and some of the most bonkers situations I've been in, in over here on this plate in Programme 2. Um, over here at the end of the menu, we, we've got wildlife in Programme 3. And then the, uh, the the wild places I visited, so some really incredible landscapes in Programme 4 and our climate crisis and what we can do about it as well, very important. Oh, that's the special. Well, very good, very impressive, Simon, and well sold, I've got to tell you. you. If you had to take these programmes and these highlights off the um, specials trolley and 
and put them on uh, an Olympic podium. <laughs> would you? Could you come up with a, a bronze, silver, and gold from from what you've seen so far of what you've done so far? Well, for moments and experiences, that, that is really brilliantly tricky. I think bronze would probably be bronze would probably be meeting uh, Lucy, a Maasai grandmother I met on the great the Great Plains of Africa many a year back. Who was she was just brilliant and welcoming. And it was a just an experience and a moment that I will never forget because she was fascinated and fascinating and lived a very different life. But she had a mobile phone tucked in her, tucked in her robes that rang while we were talking to her. And she pulled <laughs> up this that. battered old Nokia. It. And it was, a, it was one of her neighbours across the plane who was asking what on earth she was doing with those strange people. It was, it was wonderful. I suppose then silver, goodness, silver would be some of the weird food. I've had some strange food around the planet, definitely. And the, that's in the programmes as well. Um, weird food, what I have eaten and loved, quite frankly, because it's a great way into a culture and it's proper memories. And then goodness, gold, I think you put me on the spot and I love you for it. So I'm going to go with um, this secret mission, frankly, we had into into a very dangerous area of Burma um, many years back, which was probably the most dangerous thing I've ever done. And lives were really risked to do it. We all felt that it was needed because we were going to see these forgotten people who'd suffered terribly under the Burmese regime. And we met some really astonishing people there. And I was guided in by this staggeringly inspiring young woman called Cheery. So her, Burma, that little mission, that, that would that would be at the top of my podium. Yeah, top of your podium. Off the top of your head, that was very impressive, wasn't it, Vasos? Because yeah. they're, yeah. they're not Can't easy questions to answer. And as I was asking them, I thought, this isn't fair. But you've, you've, that was 10 out of 10, mate. I'm well going to pin him down with this one. He's no, not going to wriggle out of that. that. I didn't mean to do that. So, uh, <laughs> listen, thanks for hanging on, I Simon. I like it. It gets, gets the heart beating, you know. Uh, do us a favour tonight. Tell all your friends to watch this Channel 4 show. We had Russell T. Davis on earlier. Um, it's a sin. You've got to watch that show, Simon. You will not regret it as a fan of telly. Right. And I'll tell everyone to carry on watching your shows um what when Appreciate might you be back at work again any ideas <laughs> i haven't got a clue does anyone know what's going to happen next week if they do or tomorrow <laughs> even i know i know or this afternoon I, I don't know just every day every day as it comes i'm writing a book like every other telly type probably at the moment but um i'm hopeful we're going to be able to do some filming but where and when i really don't know all right mate well simon's back on the telly bbc two sunday night 8 p.m uh, watch it and if you don't watch it on sunday I need a radio it. show really don't i yeah um, thank well, you this this apparently seems to be coming the the interview process for radio shows <laughs> on this station you may, you may be aware of that <laughs> simon have a lovely day thanks for being on our program and you thanks for having me on all the best the best of the chris evans breakfast show with sky on virgin radio she blew our socks off last time she was in the studio, and we're very happy she's back for more. Her book, Everything is Figure Outable, is out now in paperback, and here to explain how you can do absolutely anything is a firecracker. Live from New York City, it's Marie Folio. Good morning, darling. Oh, good morning. <laughs> it's so great to be with y'all. I've got my coffee. I am ready to go. How's everybody over there? We are fantastic, Marie. Thanks for getting up so early. I know it's 36 minutes past four over there in New York. Um, your book, Everything is Figureoutable, now available in paperback. What most recently have you figured out is figureoutable? Well, for me, I will tell you this. Not to scare anyone, I'm totally fine. But right before the holidays, mm -hmm. I figured out that I had a tumor the size of a grapefruit growing outside of my uterus, which yeah. is not fun. <laughs> not the kind of news that anyone wants to get. 
but we got the surgery done. We got everything taken care of. I had a very long six-week recovery. So for anyone out there who is recovering from health-related things, and I'm sure a lot of folks in your audience have or are, you know, it's challenging to figure out how to get your body back online and how to make sure that your mind is okay and your emotions are okay. So that's been a little bit of a journey for me. And this little phrase, everything is figure outable, helped me every single step of the way. Yeah, and it just took on a whole new dimension. I heard about that, Marie, and I'm so glad you're on the road to recovery. How did it come onto your radar that might, there might be something wrong? Well, I'll tell you this. I think you might appreciate this. I was actually on FaceTime with a dear friend we were talking because, you know, all of us are obviously trying to keep safe. We want to keep everyone healthy. And my friend noticed I had a pain in my abdomen. And I said, ow. And she said, what's that? And I said, oh, it's nothing. I'm probably eating some food that I shouldn't. Earlier this year, I found out I'm a little sensitive to gluten. And she said, uh-uh, nope, we're not doing that. I said, what are you talking about? She's like, you must go get a sonogram. You must go get an ultrasound now. We need to know what's going on. By the way, Chris, this is a, my best friend who lives with stage four cancer for over a decade wow. now. So when she says I need to go get something taken care of medically, I listen to her. Mm-hmm. So I went into the doctors. Um, nothing's wrong. Everything's good. Blood test. Everything's great. When they did the ultrasound, that's when they discovered. I didn't even realize that I had this thing growing inside of me. All I knew was that I was starting to not feel so good and I couldn't put my finger on it. So that's how we discovered it. And, you know, it's just one of those things. I think it happens to most of us in life, but it's just a great reminder for me and hopefully for everyone listening. If your body is telling you that something is off, your body's telling you, or you're starting to feel, you know, these little aches or pains and you're not sure where they're coming from, don't be like me. Don't ignore it, but get your butt to the doctor. Yeah, and and when you were told what it was, and you're very good at this, you're very pragmatic. Um, but you know, we all have our emotions and different ways of coping with them. And some sometimes we're confronted by things we're just not ready for. How did you respond to the news? Um, and any takeaways for people who unfortunately might be facing a similar situation? Yeah, you know what I did was I just wanted to talk with doctors, as many doctors as I could, talk with my friends and my family. And, you know, one of the things about what I had in particular, as it relates to women's health, my mom said to me, she said, I was hoping this wasn't coming for you. (laughs) That's what she said. She's like, I was hoping that it was going to skip you, you know, your generation. But um, when it comes to having a hysterectomy, which many women have to have in the course of their lives, which is what I had to have as well, I just said, you know what, if this helps keep me healthy, Mm -hmm. if this is going to help me stay here and stay on my mission and keep doing what I love to do, which is connecting with people and writing down ideas and sharing concepts, I said, I'm going to have total faith. I'm going to put my hands, my health in the hands of capable doctors, and we're going to get through this. And I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but like all of us, you know, we come up with challenges and I just got myself really rooted in the ideas in the book. And I'm not kidding you, just going like, okay, I don't know how I'm going to figure this out, but right. it's, this little phrase is going to help me. It's funny, isn't it? Because um, often people say uh, of, uh, of various gurus, to me, you are a guru, by the way, you're, you're a nailed on fully qualified guru. You know, that's all well and good when things are going well. Uh, but then when you, you, you hit some turbulence, uh, and by the way, you know, uh, foundational thinking is good anyhow, I think, you know, it's, it's good to have a, a route map. You may not end up going where the route map says, but at least you'll have an idea uh, of which, in which direction you might want to head. But, you know, um, you are a very energetic, effervescent human being, and I love you. I love you, love you, love you. But when you 
you were knocked like this, you know, what kind of yeah. different perspective did it give you on your think thinking over the last few years, your book itself? Uh, is, there, is there anything you, you can sort of, any evolution in your thinking that has taken place as a result of what you've been through? Oh, well, just given me so much more perspective and empathy. I'll, I'll share this. Um, part of the journey for me, you know, naturally I am a pretty positive person, but when you go through this particular surgery, it can take all of your normal chemicals in your body, specifically hormones for women, and it takes them on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. And so there were times, Chris, when I was in the recovery period where I felt a darkness where I felt a sense of depression, where I felt a sense of emotionality that quite honestly, I had never experienced in my life. And it gave me so much more empathy and understanding and perspective, especially around any of us who can try to navigate issues that aren't just purely in our minds or having to do with mindset, but having to do with the chemical makeup in our body. And so for me, that was, um, it was really difficult. There were a couple days, and I'll just be really honest about this. I remember it was like three or four days straight where I was just weeping. And I remember calling my doctor and going, I know logically that I'm safe. I know, you know, I'm looking at my life. I'm looking at where I am. I'm able to be in bed. I'm able to stay at home, but I can't stop weeping. And so it was just this really beautiful experience that I've never had before that just gives me a lot more perspective when I'm working with people to understand just a tiny fraction of what some of the folks um, have to navigate on a day-to-day -day basis. Again, that has nothing to do with their mindset, that has nothing to do with their perspective, but does have to do with what's happening chemically in their body. And it's challenging. Everything is figureoutable. Uh, the paperback by Marie Folio. Just spend, get Marie in your life. Make a little bit of space for Marie and you will not regret it. Marie, uh, stay well. Lovely to talk to you. Great to talk with you too. Sending your whole team love and I can't wait to see you in person sometime soon. All right. Soon as you can. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Ever wondered how much water you should drink, whether you should drink coffee, and if breakfast really is the most important meal of the day? Well, wonder no more. The new book, The Science of Living, is out now, and here to give us the facts behind the fads is the destroyer of pseudoscience, Dr. Stuart Farriman. Good morning, Dr. Stuart. Morning, Chris. How are you doing? We're doing very well. All the better for your amazing book. It's one of those books we all got a copy. We all took it home a couple of days ago, and we all came back in this morning after reading it last night, having the same uh, febrile, almost, conversation it's really put the cat amongst the pigeons for us. Congratulations. What a fantastic book. The Science of Living, 219 Reasons to Rethink Your Daily Routine. Now, Dr. Stewart, I knew mm. there was magic in this book. I could, I could read it. I could sense it. I could feel it. And I'm thinking... And it's a lovely colour. It's a lovely colour. Where's this magic come from? And then I read under the circumstances with which you composed it. And then I mm. thought, well, there you go. That's it. That's where the alchemy happened because you wrote this in a window of gratitude. Tell us about that, please. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book is all about trying to answer those I wonder why questions that we have. You know, those clickbait kind of things of, as you just kind of kind of mentioned, is breakfast the most important meal of the day? Um, all those things, you know, that is coffee. What's the best time to drink my cup of coffee? Basically everything that you can think of. And, you know, I've always been sort of a believer in science and, and, and logic and things. And yet you click on these things that you get um, online 
And a lot of it's just a load of rubbish. So it's about redressing the balance and answering all those questions that you have in your daily life in a really understandable way. So that's what the book is about. And the book is about a celebration of life and letting us use science to make the best of our life. And to answer your question is that this book was written on the back of me going through um, treatment for a brain cancer, for brain for a brain tumour. And so writing this book, it's, it's been published by DK Books, who've been absolute legends in helping to get the book written, because they just said, look, you've got to have surgery, chemotherapy, radiotherapy, you just, you just do that and the book will be here for you when you get back. So that is, is the kind of the backdrop of it. And it's about you know, when you realise that, you know, life is this beautiful, precious thing, it's about savouring every day. And that's really what the book is about, well, about it, using... It is, it is, yeah. but it's got so much more going on. And, you know, um, you you can see it, but we can sort of see it um, in more detail because we're not as close to it as you are. But from having, you know, the experience of written a few books myself and currently writing one, I know mm. about, about graphic design. I know about the layout of a page. Mm. And each one of these pages is perfect it's perfectly poised it's perfectly composed it's beautiful isn't it yeah it's stunning yeah. it's a stunning book you know it's it you've done all the heavy lifting for us you've you've framed every single scientific message in a really sort of uh, you know, on, on the daily or in the daily uh, question, you know, is life really faster paced in the city? I'm not going to tell you any of the answers to these questions because you're going to have to buy the book. Is central heating bad for your health? And I'm just flicking through the book, by the way. Here we go. Should I mm. take vitamins with my breakfast? Why are teenagers so lazy in the mornings? Can I make myself a morning person? Why do I feel low in the winter mornings? And that's just the mornings. Then we get into the afternoons. Then we get into the night. Then we get into sleep. Um, can stress ever be good for me? Why am I always um, so stressed when I'm working? Why am I more stressed on a hot day? Uh, but... You know, you've, it's because you had the time, isn't it? You had the time to look at each page and go, right, can this page be any better? And also, because there's lots of colour in the book, that costs more money from a publishing point of view. And it's, you know, this this is as good a book as you can find in a bookstore. Now, we've had a conversation over the last 24 hours, haven't we, Stuart, where you've agreed to do a podcast for us next week. So I want to keep as much of your powder and this book dry as we can for that. Because every month this year, we're going to try and nail something. And in January, it was sleep. And in February, it was going to be water. And it will begin with you talking about that. But it won't carry on being about water because, Stuart, mm -hmm. water isn't that complicated is it, in, our, in our day. It's not lives. that complicated. No, it's not. There's, there's a lot of... Um... A lot of pseudoscience in that as well. And and we hear this thing about you should have eight glasses of water a day. Some yeah. people say it's six, some people say it. But there's this thing about the best part of two litres of water a day. And that's actually a misunderstanding. There was a, I think it was back in the 40s or the 50s, there was a US uh, sort of nutrition guideline. And it said for, on average, an adult needs about two litres of water a day. And people went, all right, that's great. Okay, so two litres of water a day. But then if you read the next sentence, it says a substantial, if not majority of that, will come from the food that you eat. But nobody read the next bit. And the water industry jumped onto this two litres a day. And so now we see, you know, you've got to drink this amount of water every day. But if you have a balanced diet, like fruit, veg, and your whole kind of, you know, variety of food that we should all eat, then a significant proportion, if not a majority, of the liquid that you need in a day uh, will come from from your food. 
So we don't have to like go around with our bottles and force feed us to drink. We just need to listen to our body. And when we're thirsty, just grab a drink. Because we've got, you know, our bodies have evolved over millions of years. I love um, it. So we've got this very good thirst system that we just have to listen to and trust. Okay. And that's a pretty... so, uh, We've sport the first podcast, haven't we? Yeah. It's, it's so funny. It's so funny that you said that for so many reasons. Before I, I go into expanding on, on the water thing and our, our, the mystery as to why, how come we couldn't come up, we couldn't find a guest on the planet. Um, to have a, a, a ninety-minute to two-hour conversation about water, and and then we started reading uh, Dr. Stewart's book yesterday. And we went, aha, this is probably why. But the misunderstanding about that quote back in the forties reminds mm. me of the most misunderstood quote from the Bible, which is that money is the root of all evil, because it doesn't mm. say that in the Bible. What no, it, it's the love of money. It's yeah. the love of money. So, mm. you, so we missed out the suffix with water, and we've missed out the prefix with um, with the love of money. We're going to leave it there. Um, Everybody buy the book. And thanks for agreeing to podcasting uh, next week with us, Stuart. That's, that's absolutely awesome. Congratulations. I'm really glad. Are you completely better in recovery? How is, uh, what's your current status? I have ongoing scans every three months. So it's a kind of a brain tumour that can't be cured. But, you know, I've had surgery. I've had some of the best surgery in the country. I had up in Birmingham with a wonderful chap called Professor Watts. And he didn't think he got it all out. But I've had the radiotherapy and the chemotherapy. And when they scan me, they can't see it anymore. So you can't ask for anything more than that. So, yeah, and, and I'm healthy. To look at me, Chris, you wouldn't know anything had happened to me. So, yeah, healthy, happy, loving life. All right. So, well, yeah, con- I'm good. Congratulations on the book. When is it out? It's out now. It's out, out is- now. Okay, it's been out for a while. All okay. good bookshops when they're open. Or obviously you have your online retailers. All right. Um, Yes. Well, it's a, th- it's a thing of beauty full of wonder, and books don't get any better than that. The Science of Living. 290 reasons to rethink your daily routine. Get it now. Cheers, Stu. A pleasure. Nice to chat with you, Chris. Nice to chat with you. Can't wait for next week. Cannot wait to talk more. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. A global lockdown couldn't stop our guests doing what they do best. Their new album, Who Am I?, is out next month with the single Easy Out Now. So please welcome the singing sensation surfing on some rather impressive pale waves. It's Heather Baron Gracie! Good morning, Heather. Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for hanging on. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a beautiful Friday, blue skies, sunshine, and new music around. Heather, I don't know much about you, so can you tell me and everyone else who is, um, you know, has my perspective on you thus far a little bit more about who you are and where you came from? Yeah, so we're a band from Manchester. There's four of us in the band. We've been going for a while now, and we've, we're just about to drop our second album. We kind of play, like, alternative pop music. What does that mean in your head, that phrase? I reckon pop with guitars, pop with a bit of edge. Right, so so you inspired influences from you know current and and further back, like who, for example? Yeah, so like Avril Lavigne is my hero, you know, my childhood hero. But then I love bands like Hall, Courtney Love, uh, Liz Fair, Alanis Morissette, a lot of like dominating female alternative artists. All right, and you have some kind of stage presence. Again, I wasn't aware of this, but Hellsbells, who works on the show, who's more your age than mine, she said, you've got to watch, you've got to see her on stage. And, you, <laughs> and she, said, she says, Chris, you remember Garbage? Yeah, Shirley Manson. Who will ever forget yeah, Shirley Manson, by I the way? I love Garbage. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and she, she's quite right, by the way. You stand there and you say, come on, uh, I, I was born ready. What about you guys? Uh, get a load of this, which it must, make, must feel fantastic. Uh, first gig ever. Do you remember where that was? I think it was an Avril Lavigne show in Manchester. 
which right. was amazing. Okay, so you, so you went there with expectations. Okay, obviously she 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 delivered and some. And um, what did you go home thinking? That I want I want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> that I want to be on the stage. <laughs> right. When was that? Oh my god, that would have been years ago. I think I was maybe like fifteen. Right. And so so what did you do the next day? How do you how do you carry on that journey or begin that journey then? I guess just always constantly playing my guitar. I've been playing guitar since I was literally like eight years old. Right. And just writing just writing songs and then I went to university, met the band and then it was just all go from there. Okay, so so who? How come a guitar got into your life at the age of eight? Where, where was music? Where was live music in the house in the family? My dad, my dad loves guitar. He he was in a few bands, not as his profession, but I think a quite you know a lot of bad bands. But yeah, he was the guy that sort of told me to pick up the guitar, and I did followed okay. in his footsteps. Right, and your first band? How did that? How did you get your first band together? Well, Pale Waves came together because me and Kira met at university. Right. So, so Pale Waves is is your first band still. So you haven't been in one before. Well, I've been in one that lasted a few months, and it yeah. was like a pop punk band, right? <laughs> which I hate when the fans find because <laughs> the music's terrible. It's really bad. Yeah, but without that, you don't get this. You know that. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. Sure. Exactly. That's it was sure. like. A pop-punk wannabe Paramore band. <laughs> All right, cool. Uh, so fir- first gig as a band, how many people turned up? Where was it? Uh, was it free to get in? Um, you know, uh, what was being served behind the bar? What was on the buffet? All that kind of information, please. So it was at like a dive bar in Manchester and there was literally like 20 people and all those people were Kira's family. Right. <laughs> and there was literally like nobody there except from Kira's family and... It was an experience, you know. Well, yeah, but, but it's it was good. fun. Yeah, of course it was fun. By the way, that's the story of rock and roll, right there. That's that's the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you so, have to kind of play to no one to appreciate playing to people. Playing to someone, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, when did things begin to catch light, and how did that happen? I guess maybe like four years ago. Now we played a show in Manchester. And um, sort of got scouted from that and got signed to Dirty Hit and then just started releasing music, went on tour with a 1975 and then it's all just kind of took off from there. It was like literally like, this train is going, you have to get on now. Right, so this is, we're in second album territory here. So so how, what is it like for you now as a 26-year-old, you know, in 2021, uh, you know, ha- having your own band, you know, on the precipice of the second album, you know, how is it for you in this business, in this world today? It's all about adapting, you know, everyone's in the same boat. I wish that the pandemic obviously wasn't here so I could just, carry on with a normal album campaign and meet the fans and go on tour and do all that fun stuff but we're just doing the best we can like everyone pretty much just trying to get through it right who's in the band it's me kieran jones charlie on bass and hugo on guitar got it all right well it's great to talk to you heather um when do you hope to be playing live next oh my god you know i hope at the end of the year but who knows and Thank you for playing us on your show. My mum thinks it's really cool that I'm talking to you this morning. <laughs> What's your mum's name? Louise. She's right. listening right now. Hey, where, where, what, is she in the same house as you? 
No, no, she's at home in Preston. All right, well, give my love to her. Uh, rock and roll to you. Good luck and stay in touch, Heather. <laughs> Thanks so much. The best of the Chris Evans Breakfast Show with Sky on Virgin Radio. Thank you so much for listening to this, the podcast of the Virgin Radio Breakfast Show. Don't forget you can subscribe and get it every week from wherever you get your podcast and you will never miss the weekly roundup of all the best bits from our Virgin Radio Breakfast Show with Sky. 